Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Uh, we're continuing to move through our, our series on the book of Acts. When our kids were little, um, in this, this season, kind of this time of year, one of the things that we would do is if we were going home kind of late, let's say it was after church on a Wednesday night, or maybe it's sometime when we're out and it's after dark, when we were driving home, instead of, instead of just going straight home, we'd take the long way home, and we might drive through a neighborhood that wasn't our own just to go out and kind of look around and see the Christmas lights. Anybody else ever do that? You guys just drive around and see what other people have done, see the Christmas lights. Our kids used to get a kick out of that and see what, what decorations people would have on their houses. And sometimes you just, you know, you'd pull up and you'd see people's houses. It just looked very simple, but it was tasteful. You know, it just looked really, really kind of good. You could see the holiday season there. Sometimes you'd pull up and you'd see, man, they went all out. You could tell somebody spent a lot of time and maybe even money to make that thing just look like a masterpiece. And then you drive up to some houses, you just look at them and you go, Man, they have too much time on their hands. Do you know what I mean? You see that? So you drive around, you're watching, you're looking. Oh, look at that house. Oh, look at what they did. Oh, look at that. And then all of a sudden, you come up to a house with nothing. You know, and it's, it's just darkness. And you're kind of, you're let down a little bit. You're a little disappointed. Oh, I didn't know the Scrooges lived around here. You know, you have that thought, right? Now, that's not fair to say. Because for some people, to, to do that work of putting the lights out, they might not have the financial resource, or maybe they don't have the time, or maybe they don't even have the physical ability to do that. Here's, here's just what I know, that when you're in a season of light, the darkness really kind of stands out, doesn't it? You see it, and you go, ah, I wish, I wish they'd let their light shine. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that God has called us, especially in this season, in, in this time of the year, to let our lights shine to shine for him, to show others who we are and who he is as his light shines in us. Now, we're, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today, but before we get there, I, I want to talk for a few minutes about another passage of Scripture. John chapter 8, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. And then when you get to Matthew chapter 5, he kind of switches it up. Now, it's true that Jesus is the light of the world, but he also wants that light from him to shine through us so that others will see the light of the world. Look at this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. We read this. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He says here, look, you are the light of the world. And God wants to shine his light, his love, who he is. He wants others to know who he is through you as your light shines so that they can see it. And the truth is, he says that they will see his light by your good deeds, by the things that you do. Others will see that he is the true light of the world. So the question we're going to dig into today is this, how to shine bright this Christmas? Because in these next few weeks, as we get into the holiday season, there's the opportunity for you to impact other people's lives, maybe in a way unlike any other time of the year. So we're going to talk today about how to shine bright this Christmas in your neighborhood, on the job, in your school, with your family, in your home. We ask the question, how do I let my light shine bright. To do that, to make sense of it, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 9, 
where we left off last week. We call this series Bright Lights because we're talking about these times in Luke's writings where it says that suddenly God showed up with a bright light and things changed. That's the, the stories that we're reading about here. So when we get to Acts chapter 9, let's just recap where we were last week. There was a guy named Saul. Saul was an enemy of the Christians. He was an enemy of the church. And his desire was to persecute those who believed in Jesus of Nazareth. And so he had already done this with, with people in Jerusalem. And he decided, I'm going to go to, to another big city. I'm going to go to Damascus. When I go there, I'm going to stop these heretics, stop this cult that's saying that Jesus of Nazareth is the real Messiah. I want to arrest people. We're going to drag them back to Jerusalem. We're going to put them in prison. Hopefully, we will punish them. And Paul was even, Saul was even okay with the fact that they might be executed. And we're going to interchange the names of Saul and Paul because he's the same guy in Scripture. And we'll see this as we move through the book of Acts, that Saul eventually becomes known as Paul, and so we, we kind of mix his name up here. While this guy Saul is on what we, we call the road to Damascus, just before he gets there, there's this bright light that shines on him and the people who are with him, knocks them down, and while he's there, out of that bright light, he has an experience with the risen Jesus Christ, who says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we talked about last week how out of that encounter, his life was changed. And he became, instead of a persecutor of the church, he became a believer in the church and a follower of Jesus Christ. And when we left him last week, his friends had led him to a house somewhere in the city of Damascus, and he was there and he was blind because of the encounter with the bright light, and he could not see. And, and as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Paul. So I really don't want to talk about this guy Saul or Paul today. I want to talk today about the person who was the first person that God sent to Paul after his miraculous encounter on the road to Damascus. He's a guy that we don't read about anywhere else in Scripture. His name is Ananias. For all intents and purposes, this, this is his moment in the spotlight. This is all he gets in the Bible. But we want to talk about this guy, Ananias, and I want you to see how he lets his light shine. And if you're asking the question, how can I let my life shine, today I want to give you just two words. In fact, these two words, if you're asking, how can my light shine this Christmas, let's start here. The two words are say yes. If you want your light to shine, if you want to make a difference in lives this Christmas season, it starts with this, that, that you would say yes. And what we're going to look at in these next few moments is what I would call three say yes principles, three ideas that we're going to pull out of this story of Ananias in Acts chapter 9 that will help us to know, and especially this time of year, how we can make a difference for God. Our light can shine. Let's look at these three say yes principles, and let's start. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Let's look at our text. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. You see what his response was? The very first thing he said, God called his name, and then he says to him, yes, yes, Lord. The, the first principle that I want you to see out of this story, number one is this, say yes first. 
Let the first thing you say, let, let your natural response, when there's a time when you sense that maybe God has something that he wants you to do, you know it's the right thing because you understand it to be right from scripture, or you sense that God's giving you a divine appointment, or you have a moment when you're trying to decide what to do, that you would start here, number one, that you would say yes first, that yes would be your first response. In fact, this, this terminology, say yes, that, that's kind of the way that the New International Version translates this, that he says, yes, Lord. The English Standard Version actually gets it probably a little bit more accurately to what the original Greek said. Look at this, Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. His response is, God, I'm, I'm right here. Yes, Lord. Here I am. I'm right here. Know this, that, that when God speaks and when God stirs in your heart and there's something he wants you to do, yes means here I am. It says, God, here, here I am. I'm right here. Yes means here I am. When you look at scripture, this is actually a pretty common response. Times when God called people to do something unique for him. Abraham and Jacob and Samuel and Moses and Isaiah. There were these times when the, the heroes in the Old Testament we're called to do something for God. And when he called to them, their response was this. Here I am. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'll do what you ask of me to do. That's the natural response. <clears throat> I, was, I was real privileged to kind of grow up a little bit kind of out in the country. We had a big backyard. And, and right there kind of in our neighborhood, there were about five or six kids that were all about the same age as I was. And so we would hang out and we would play. And I can remember summer nights when we would, would hang out and we would just be out in the yard and we'd kind of run from yard to yard and we'd play hide and seek. Anybody ever play that? You know the game, right? Hide and seek. I mean, it's kind of a, everybody, everybody knows that game, hide and seek. And we had this big elm tree that was kind of right by our house and that was base. That was the home that you'd want to get back to. And so whoever was the person that was going to find everybody, they'd kind of bury their head in that tree and they'd count to 10 or whatever, you're, 100, whatever you're going to count to. And then when you got to that number, you'd kind of pull back away, you'd open your eyes if you were a Christian and you didn't cheat, right? And so at that point, then you'd open your eyes and you would say, you'd yell it out, you'd go, ready or not? Yeah, you played the game, ready or not, here I come. And by that point, you, you better be hidden right before they can get to you. You better be the other side of the house or behind a tree or back behind the barn or somewhere where they're not gonna be able to find you and kind of know where you are. Fun game, unless you're playing with God. Because a lot of times, I think we wanna play hide and seek with God. And God calls our name, or God gives us an opportunity, or God opens the door for us, and we're hiding from him, and we're like, I'm, I'm here, God, but you got to find me. <laughs> Do you remember that guy Jonah in the Old Testament? He kind of played hide and seek with God, didn't he? Didn't work out so well for him. Not a real good situation. And look, it doesn't make any sense to try to hide from God. And there are times when God will open up opportunities for you, or you know what the right thing is to do, or you're face-to-face -face with someone or a situation, and you feel like maybe this is a moment where I can encourage them or speak truth to them or help them in some way, and God kind of opens up that door for you, the right response is not, well, if God finds me, then I'll do it. The right response is to say, here I am, God. Yes, I'll help you. I'll be here for you. I will do what you have for me to do. Here's my encouragement to you. Yes means here I am, so be ready for yes. Look, anticipate that God wants to use you. And we talked about this with divine appointments a couple weeks ago, but what, but what if we lived our life saying, God, 
here I am. Use me, God. Somehow today, it might be in the grocery store. It might be at school. It might be at work. It might be just some kind of random encounter. But God, you use me. Be ready for yes. Just, just expect, anticipate that God wants to use you and then be ready to be used by him. It's a powerful concept if we would think in that way and say, God, I'm, I'm ready to be used by you. During World War II, in, in December of 1944, the German forces made a massive surprise attack on the Allies in this forest that ran through Belgium and Luxembourg. There was a 75-mile front that they kind of pushed through, and it was called the Battle of the Bulge. Have you heard of this? You probably heard of that if you studied American history, World War II at all. And the, the, the problem there was the U.S. forces that were there were relatively weak. They were either brand new recruits that have come over, or they were a lot of soldiers who were already very weary from battle. So the Germans were coming against them in this point, and yet even in the midst of this ugly fighting, there were these pockets of fierce and courageous resistance. One such story is about a guy, a 19-year-old colorblind draftee from Baltimore named Albert Durago. And in 1944, Durago had... had, um, he was brand new to this thing. He'd never fired a bazooka. He didn't really know what he was doing. But his superiors were looking for some volunteers. They knew the German tanks were rolling towards them. And if they could take out some of these tanks, that would be a huge win for them. And so they said, will anybody volunteer to take a bazooka and go and take out some of these tanks? And this guy, Durago, he didn't know what he was doing. He just raised his hand and said, I'll go. And so he and another guy volunteered to do this. He admitted later, I didn't know the first thing about bazookas, he said. But somebody loaded the gun for him. He ran down a hill under heavy fire. He had no protection. He found a spot, saw a tank, aimed, pulled the trigger. That thing hit the tank, disabled the tank. It was an immediate direct hit. Let's give it a cheer for the, big, for the good guys, right? right? So he runs, he runs back to camp, says to his superiors, I took one out. And they said, awesome. You want to go again? He said, okay. So they loaded it up. Handed him bazooka, he went back, took out another tank, came back, and he was a hero in the Battle of the Bulge. At the 70th anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge in December of 2014, Albert Durago said this, believe it or not, I didn't even think about volunteering for the task. It was something that had to be done, and we did it. I never considered myself brave. Somebody had to do it. When I was there. Look, what if, what if we were just ready for yes? What if like Durago, when there was an opportunity, when there was a situation, when there was a need, when there was a person in our life who, who maybe needed us to step in and make a difference in their life, we didn't try to talk ourselves into or out of it. We just responded and said, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll be there. God, I'll do what you would have for me to do. What if we were ready for yes? The problem is, I think too many times our default mode is no. That our default mode is, I don't think so, or I don't know that I can, or I don't know that I should. What if we would choose yes before no? That's what Ananias did. He, he didn't ask God, God, what do you want? He just said, yes, Lord, here I am. What do you, what do you need? What, what can I do? What if we would choose yes before no? I can remember there were times when my mom would come to me when I was a kid, and she'd say, Chad, can you help me with... And before she'd ever even get it out of her mouth, I would respond back with, no. Anybody? No, no Mom, I, I can't do that because I'm, I'm watching a show. Or I want to finish this game. 
Or I, I got to start the homework I've been procrastinating for the last four hours, right? No, no, mom, I can't. And can I tell you, it would have been better for me if I would have said yes. Can I get an amen? Right? But my default mode, my first response was to say, no, I don't, I don't think I can. Here's, here's all the reasons why I can't. Here's all the things that I can't do. Here's all the reasons why I shouldn't do that. And we do that to God. We see an opportunity. Maybe God wants to use us in a powerful way, and our response is, mm, I'm not the person, or I don't have the courage, or I don't have the smarts, or I don't have the time, or God, I'm too busy with. When God is saying to you, what, what if you would choose yes before no, and when God gives you an opportunity, you would be willing to say, yes, Lord. What if you would say yes first? That's the first thing I want you to kind of see about how to shine your light this Christmas. Number one, say yes first. Here's number two, say yes to God. When God speaks to you, the second thing I'd encourage you to do is, is not just say yes first, but make sure you're saying yes to God. Go back to our story, Acts chapter 9, verse 11. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So God says this to Ananias. Ananias, there's this guy, Saul. He's at this place. I want you to go there. I want you to put your hands on him. I want you to pray for him. And I want you, on my behalf, to bring a great change to this guy. And so God says this to him. And I love what he says here. He says, this guy, Saul, is praying, which means this. Saul's praying. Ananias, you're going to be the answer to his prayers. Oftentimes, I think we believe in the power of prayer, but we think if God's going to answer the prayer, that he's going to do it in some dynamic or incredible or supernatural way. And he does that. But do you know how God, I think, typically answers prayers? He does it through you and me. He wants to give us the chance to be used by him. And you have no idea what prayers the people in your world are praying there's people that you work with. There's people in your family. There's people you don't even know yet who are praying prayers and asking God to do something on their behalf. I know that there have been people in my life that I would look at them and say, I think they're the last person who's praying. And I find out that they've been talking to God and asking him to do something on their behalf. And the reality is God wants to answer that prayers through people like you and I. Remember this, God may use you to be the answer to someone's prayers. God may use you, it's humbling, but it's exciting that God may use you to be the answer to someone's prayer. Several weeks ago, I preached a sermon on a Sunday morning, and afterwards, we invited people to come forward who, who felt like God wanted them to respond and to pray. And so a whole, whole lot of you came forward, and then we said, hey, if, if you feel like maybe God wants you to come and pray for some of those people who are here at the front, why don't you come? So then a, a whole group of people came and, and prayed with other people, and this, this was, was really cool. I love this part. I heard a story, at least one story from every service that day, where someone came and stood here and prayed and was asking God for something. And before they ever left the front of this room, while they were still here at the altar, someone else came and prayed for them and it answered their prayers. Let me give you an example. There's one guy who was standing here. He's just very, just, just kind of challenged in his life right now. And he said, God, I wish you'd just send somebody to pray for me. And somebody came, put a hand on his back, and then they began to pray out loud. And when they did, 
the words that they were praying, he said, were the exact prayer word for word that he was praying for himself. And that God was saying, look, I know who you are. I know what you're going through, and I've got your back. And what's so cool is that God answered that prayer through someone else who was willing to say, yes, Lord, you can use me. Look, in some way, it might be tangible, it might be spiritual, it might be your words, it might be your actions. God wants to use you to be the answer to someone else's prayer. Now, look, don't take this too far. And like, let me give you just a word of encouragement. Let's say you're single and you're looking for the right person. Your opening line should not be, hey, baby, I'm the answer to your prayers. Like, don't go there. All right, don't start there. That's not the right way to look at this. But you never know what somebody's praying. And God might want to use you to answer that prayer. So go back to the text. Acts chapter 9, verse 13. God says, Ananias, here's what I want you to do. Ananias says, look at verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Then he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. The, the truth is, this, this little passage of scripture, these two verses, I think they're so cute. Because God says, Ananias, here's what I want you to do. And Ananias says, oh God, apparently you didn't hear what I heard. God, apparently, apparently we don't talk to the same people and that's cool. I can't expect you to know everything because I like your God. But here's the deal. God, this guy, this guy Saul, he's a bad dude. In fact, He's such a bad dude that he's here to hurt those of us who are the ones who are really following you. So God, I don't know if you know this or not, but this thing you want me to do is a really bad idea. Isn't that cute that he would say that to God? That's so cute. How many times have I been cute in my life? God, apparently you don't know what I know. God, apparently you don't know how hard this is. God, apparently you don't know the challenges that are in front of me. God, you, you, you don't understand how, how what you're asking me to do, God, in your word or by your spirit just doesn't make sense. How many times do we say that to God? You know, we miss the fact that, that God sees and knows more than we do. So Ananias says, God, apparently you, you don't have the scoop on this thing because there's, there's more to it than this. Watch what God says back, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And God points this out, and this is a principle that's really important for you to remember about your own life. And I also think it's really important for us to remember about the lives of those that we interact with. God sees things differently than we do. When we see a situation or a circumstance, we, we have our own ideas. We think we've got it figured out. And it's good for you to know that God sees things differently than you do. Ananias saw a terrorist. God saw an evangelist. Ananias saw the past. And God saw the future. And God knew what he wanted to do. And he wanted Ananias to know you, you can't be limited by what you think. And we do this a lot. We listen so much to the word on the street, right? Right? We listen to what the culture says to us that's the right thing to do, even if it's different from God's word. We listen to what people tell us about other people, and then we judge them based on what we've heard from other people. We let our lives be determined by the things that we hear other places, and we listen. Instead of listening to God, we listen to the word on the street. And you need to know this. 
The word of God overrides the word on the street. His word is where we put our trust. His word is where we put our confidence. And he's saying, Ananias, look, you, you think you've got this thing all figured out, but dude, there's, there's more to this. And Dude, that's in there in the Greek if you want to look that up. But God says, dude, there's more to this than what you see. God can see things that we can't see. And some of you need to maybe just kind of let this part soak in a little bit because Ananias was looking at what he thought he knew about Saul from the past, and God wants him to get this. Yesterday does not have to define tomorrow. Just because of what happened yesterday, that doesn't have to define what happens tomorrow. Ananias, just because Saul was this, that doesn't mean that tomorrow he's going to be that. And some of you, it, it would be good to think about some people you know, that maybe it's easy for you to write them off because of their yesterday, but God wants to say, look, I have a better tomorrow for them that I want to use you to help them get there. And for some of you, you've written yourself off because of yesterday. And God says, look, your yesterday does not have to define your tomorrow. I can do more than what you realize. Know this, that, that when God speaks to us, he sees things differently. He puts those opportunities there. And God wants you to say yes to him. What does that look like? God simply asks you to obey. He, he, didn't, he didn't ask Ananias to do anything super fancy. He just said, Ananias, just, just be there. Just go. Just let my light shine through you. And so many times we talk ourselves out of things when God simply asks us to obey. If you're, a, if you're a student at all of church history, you may be familiar with the name Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a, an evangelist in the 1800s. In fact, many refer to him as, as the prince of preachers, maybe one of the, the greatest preachers who's ever lived, certainly in the English language. And he told over 280 times in his recorded sermons the story of how he came to Christ. It was a powerful story that he would tell over and over again of his own conversion. It happened when he was 15 years old in 1850. He was living in England, and one day he, he had a commitment, and he was walking to that commitment on a Sunday. And as he was walking there, one of the things that he was facing in his life was great despair. He says, it seemed like a darkness had come over me. And he felt far from God, and he was filled with fear, and he was racked by guilt. And even at 15, he was wondering what kind of purpose his life had. Like It was, it was heavy on him. And he was walking from, from his home to the place where he had this commitment, and it was during a snowstorm, and the snowstorm kept increasing and really kind of went to blizzard strength, and he really felt like he couldn't go on anymore because of this storm. And so he ducks into this chapel that was there, this small little chapel in what was called, listen to the name of this denomination, it was called a primitive Methodist church. Isn't that interesting? The primitive Methodists. And so he walks into this primitive Methodist church, and he kind of hides out from the storm in the back of it. He gets inside, small little gathering on this Sunday. He said there was maybe 12, 15 people, and the actual pastor wasn't even there. The guy that was the preacher in that church, the pastor of that church, had gotten snowed in, so he couldn't even be there that day. So you got 12, 15 people, and somebody had to step up and run the service. Here's what Spurgeon says in his own words. He says, a poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Spurgeon says he was obliged to stick to his biblical text and read it over and over again for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. 
Have you ever noticed around lunchtime that I never run out of things to say? Have you noticed that? So he says, he says nothing else to say. The text was, and what he read was Isaiah 45, verse 22, that says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Spurgeon says that this substitute preacher didn't even pronounce his words right. But Spurgeon said it didn't matter because as he spoke, I got a, a glimpse of hope. This passage said, look unto me, God says. And Spurgeon says that as he talked, he quoted the verse over and over again. He said the same words over and over again. And at about 10 minutes in, he said this, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. And many of you are looking to yourselves No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Jesus says, look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Look to me. Look to me. And the guy's preaching and saying a lot of the same words over and over again. And all of a sudden, he looks and he sees Spurgeon, this 15-year-old kid who's kind of come in after being blustered around in the snow And he's huddled in the back, and this guy sees him, recognizes that he's a stranger, and the substitute pastor looks at Spurgeon, calls him out from the front, and says, young man, you look very miserable. Now, I've never said that in church. I've I've thought it about some of you, but I have never said that. (laughs) Young man, you look very miserable. And Spurgeon said, I did look miserable, but I'd never heard that in church before. And he went on to say, And you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey this text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Spurgeon said at that moment, this substitute preacher, this fill-in guy looked at him and said, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Let me read you what Spurgeon wrote. He said, there and then, the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. In that moment, I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ. I take time to tell you that story for two reasons. One is this. Some of you that are hearing this message can relate to 15-year-old Charles Spurgeon. And you can say, there's times when I feel despair, and there's times when I feel hopelessness, and there's times when I feel like my bad choices or my mistakes or my sins are the things that hold me down and define my life. And just like Spurgeon, that darkness can roll away. The light can come into your life if you're willing to look to Jesus. See, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he rose again on the third day so that we could know life. And that's why we use these words. We say that Jesus is our savior. That means he's the one who brings us forgiveness in life. And we say that Jesus is our Lord, that when we trust our life to him, he gives us purpose and he gives us meaning. And just like 15-year-old Charles Spurgeon, your life can be changed if today you choose to look to Jesus. I tell you this story today for two reasons. One, because if you look to Jesus, he can change your life. Two, Because the prince of preachers was introduced to Jesus Christ by a fill-in pastor, but by a guy who didn't have any training. He didn't have any time to prepare. He jumped in in the middle of a blizzard and just did his very best. He was willing to say yes, and because he said yes, literally thousands of people are in heaven because of Charles Spurgeon's preaching. Because one person, one person whose name we don't even know, was willing 
to say yes. Look, don't be quick to say no when God has something that he wants for you to do. Don't be quick to say, no, God, I can't do that because I'm not trained. God, I, I can't speak, or, or God, I don't have the strength, or God, I don't have the wisdom, or God, I don't have the resource, or God, I don't have the... When God gives you that opportunity, what if you just said, yes, God, and trusted that he would do amazing things through that? Because when you say yes first to God, you give him the opportunity to work through you to impact others. Here's the third thing I want you to see, the third say yes principle. Number three, say yes to others. Say yes to others. Go back to the story. God says, Ananias, go to this house. Ananias says, well, I don't know, God. God says, just do it. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What an unlikely pair. Think about it. Ananias, the disciple, comes face to face with Saul, the disciple killer. It was a dangerous place for him to go. God said, Ananias, I, I want you to go into the headquarters of the Jewish terrorists who are trying to kill Christians. It didn't make sense. And yet Ananias walked in there, and he said yes to God, so that other people's lives could be changed. See, Saul needed somebody. He needed somebody to come and tell him truth. He needed somebody to come and show him love. He needed somebody to come and believe that what God was doing in his life was real. He needed somebody who would come face to face with him and be an agent of the light of Jesus. He needed somebody to come and be the light of the world to him and know this, someone needs you to be their somebody. Look, everybody needs somebody. And somebody needs you to be there, somebody, to speak truth to them, to encourage them, to stand with them, to believe in them. Someone in your world needs you to be there, somebody. It may be somebody in your family. It might be your parent or a child or a sibling or a relative who maybe the only time you ever see them is December 25th. But God's lining up a divine appointment for you to be someone's somebody. You know where I think we miss it the most? I think we miss it with our spouses, that there's times when God wants us to speak words of life, words of encouragement to the most important person in our life, and we miss it for whatever reason. When was the last time your spouse was encouraged with scripture on your lips? Somebody needs you to be there, somebody, somebody at work or somebody at school. Look, you don't have to preach, just shine. Just let your light shine. Just let God's love show through you in real and practical ways. Here's why. Someone needs you to believe in them. To believe that what God can do in their life can change their life. That the work that Jesus has done in you, that's forgiven you and empowered you and strengthened you and given you hope, that God can do that for them too. Look, as we go through the book of Acts we're going to see multiple times where someone believed in someone else. Oftentimes, we're going to see this in the life of Paul. One of the first times that we see it is with Ananias. We see it again in the same city of Damascus a little bit later in this chapter. Paul's preaching there in Damascus. He's become an evangelist. And the Jewish people who he was supposed to be working with now realize that he's a Christian. And they want to persecute him now. Look at this, Acts 9.23. 
After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, like they're watching for him to go in and out of the gates. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Isn't that crazy? Like they're looking to kill him. So they're like, we got to sneak you out of here, dude. You got to get out of here. So they take Saul. They put him in a basket, kind of close this thing up. They lower him out a window in the wall and drop him down outside the city where people can't see him. And then he can escape. That's a pretty cool story, isn't it? And there's a biblical principle here. You ready for this? Every basket case needs off the wall friends. <laughs> right? Every basket case needs off the wall friends. You ever been a basket case? You ever been in a spot where you're just, I don't know, messed up, hopeless, disappointed, frustrated, not sure you're going to make it? And in those moments, you need some off the wall friends. Years ago, I, I remember being in a connect group we used to be a part of during a time when I was a basket case. And I opened up with some friends, and I, I could take you to the spot in that living room where they, where they stood around me, and they prayed for me. And that was a turning point in my life personally and spiritually. I can take you back not all that long ago, just a, a year or so ago, when I was in a board meeting with Calvary's deacons. And there was a moment when one of them said, Pastor, can we pray for you? And these guys gathered around me, and they, they prayed for me. And in that moment, there was something that happened. It was, it was a turning point in my life. I'm thankful that I have some off-the-wall friends because there's times when I'm a basket case. Look, if, if you're in a tough spot, pray that God will send you some off-the-wall friends. And you know the best way to have some? Be one. You, you start shining the light of Jesus through your life in a way that's, that's life-changing for people, that they know that you believe in them. Here's the story. Someone needs you to shine. There's somebody in your life, there's someone somewhere that needs you to shine. It says Saul came and he laid hands on Ananias and when he did, it says that something fell from his eyes and his eyes were open because Ananias was willing to be the light of the world when he was the light of the world. Then Saul was able to see and it literally changed the course of human history. Friends, someone needs you to shine. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Look, here's, here's the whole point. The light of the world will help others to see. Look, when you let God shine through you, it's gonna make a difference in the life of other people. This past summer, through our, our Serve Week, we were able to love the 419 by partnering with a great church in central Toledo called the Tabernacle. And they're making a huge difference in our city and doing some pretty incredible things. Their pastor is Dr. Calvin Sweeney, and, and he has this statement. My friend, Dr. Sweeney, he says this, we are the light of the world, and we need to increase the wattage. <laughs> Isn't that a good statement? That there are times when if we're going to be the light of the world, we need to increase the wattage and let God shine through us in new and bright and powerful ways. A couple of weeks ago, I was, I was sitting in my family room one night, and I was just, I don't know, I was just frustrated because it just seemed so dark in there. I had all the lights on. I was like, this room's so 
dark. It just seems so dark in here. And I guess I didn't notice it because like during the summer, it stays, it stays lighter longer. But have you noticed the last few weeks, like the sun goes out at like 1.30 in the afternoon? Have you noticed this? It's like getting dark so early. So I'm sitting in there and I'm just kind of fed up and frustrated. It's just so dark in here. I don't remember being so dark in here. I don't know what's going on. So I start looking around and in our family room, like our ceiling's higher than like anywhere else in the house. So I can't just like get a step stool and kind of change it up. It's like up there on a ceiling fan and I got to get a ladder to get up there. And I just kind of put it off and I just, finally I'm just frustrated. I'm like, something's not right here. So I go out in the garage, I get this step ladder, I climb up there and I start to, to take this thing apart. I got to take the cover off, you know, so I can check the light bulbs and stuff. A friend of mine, when I, when I was telling this earlier today, he says, this sounds like one of those jokes, like how many Gilligans does it take to change a light bulb? You know, one of those... So I'm up there, I take the cover off, and I look, and here, there's four bulbs in this fixture, and two of them are out. I'm only half lit. Like, there's a problem here now, right? So, so I got to change it. So I take the two of them out, I put two new ones in, put the cover back on, I go back down, I flip the switch, and oh, right? I mean, light just fills the room in that moment. Because for a long time, and I'd gotten used to it, that I only had half the wattage that I really needed. But in that moment when I stepped it up, then the light could really shine. I've gotten used to it because I had just become adjusted to the fact of what that light was, but when it finally was at its full capacity, it made a huge difference. Look, God's called you. I think this message for some of you is a challenge to increase the wattage, to let his light shine through you, especially in, in the next like 15, 20 days as we, as we come to the Christmas season. In what ways is God opening up opportunities for you to be the light of the world? And what you need to do is just say yes. That's your first response. Yes, God. Yes, I'll be the light of the world to others as you shine through me. Some of you are dim bulbs right now. You can take that however you want. And God wants to, to brighten up his light in you so that others will see him through you. The question is, will you step up to the challenge and will you say yes? So I invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And before we head out of here, I, I just want to ask you two questions. The first is this, that possibly you're here today, and, and when we talked about hope in Jesus Christ, when I told you that story about Charles Spurgeon, and you heard how looking to Jesus changed his life, and how in the midst of, of despair and, and darkness in your own life, in the midst of frustration or disappointment or fear or regret or the, the burden of your sin has you in a place where you say, God, I just can't do it anymore on my own. And you know that today what you need more than anything else is to begin or begin again a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that you'd say, Chad, would you, would you pray for me today? Would you pray with me today? That I could know Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. That today I need to begin, or I need to begin again, a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just raise your hand for a moment? You'd say, God, I need that for me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks. Anybody else? Thanks. Lord, today I need to begin begin again that personal relationship God with you through Jesus Christ it's awesome I'll pray here in just a minute here's a second question maybe you know that there's a situation in your life right now maybe, maybe it's a, a particular person maybe it's it's a situation maybe it's actually an event that's coming up and you know that God has put in your heart that this is a time for you 
to let your light shine. For God to let his, his love and his life shine through you as the light of the world. And that today you'd say, God, I don't know exactly what this is going to look like. I don't exactly know what you want to do. But today, God, I say yes. Let your light shine through me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God, I say yes. Let your light shine through me. This Christmas season, God, I say yes. If you raised your hand either one of those two times, or if you, you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, would you pray this with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin, change my life, be my savior and my Lord. Help your light to shine through me. I say yes to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, uh, we have a card that I'd encourage you just to grab on your way out of the auditorium. It just says on here, I have decided. But if you take that and go to our Connection Center, we've got friends that are there that would love the opportunity to pray with you, to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe even just have some questions about what it means to be a Christian. People there that would love to talk with you. If you don't have a Bible of your own that you can easily read and understand, uh, we have one we'd love to give to you. I want to thank you for being here today. As we wrap up, can I pray with you? Father, thanks for this day. Lord, thanks for your word and your spirit that speaks to us. As we go from here, Lord, would you help us to, to let our first response be to say yes to you as you want to work in our lives to shine your light to others. God, in this season, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.